Thank you and hello everyone, welcome to The Olivier. My name is Clemency Burton-Hill from BBC Radio 3 and 4 and I am so delighted to be sitting here with, well, simply one of the great actors of his generation, known to television audiences for his work in things like the number one ladies' detective agency and of course that small minor series Game of Thrones, <laughs> also to stage audiences for his work, for example, with the Royal Shakespeare Company for whom he's been Pericles and Iago and here at The National where he's been in things like Clybourne Park, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and is currently dazzling audiences as Salieri in Amadeus. Just out of interest, how many of you have seen Amadeus? So well, quite a few of you. Well, it's, it's rather, <laughs> it's rather uh, murky out there, but we'll take that as quite a few. And hopefully the rest of you are coming tonight or will be coming for the rest of the run. It really is sensational. So please join me in giving another very warm welcome to Lucien Samati. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. You got your Salieri flourish. <laughs> Earlier, Lucy was saying it feels so surreal to be on this stage, wearing his stage mic on these very thrones, Indeed. but not in his Salieri garb. But Indeed. you got your 18th I've, century. I've, I've flushed it out. But there we go. And Hello, now everybody. Hello. <laughs> and now we are here really to talk about you, Lucian. And mm. I'm fascinated. You grew up in London, but you were born, uh, sorry, you grew up in Zimbabwe, although That's you were correct. born here in London. That and at the age of three, mm -hmm. your mother mm -hmm. asked you what you wanted to be, and what did you say? I said, I want to be an actor. Um, and nothing ever really changed uh, from that point. What was it about acting that so captivated you, even as a three-year-old? <sighs> I, I, I can't tell you. I really cannot put a finger on it. I would say that one of my earliest memories is watching something on TV and going, they look like they're having a lot of fun. Little did you know. <laughs> and, and I want to do that. And then later on, uh, I would say around about the age of maybe eight, nine, at primary school, uh, doing little sketches and presentations in class. And I remember, I think we, did, we basically did this really bad rip-off of the A-team. <laughs> and uh, we were having a lot of fun, but I remember standing in front of the whole class and going, I'm good at this. I, this is nice. This <laughs> is, I understand how this works. Mm. Um, uh, and then one of my teachers said, hmm, yeah, you're not too bad at this, are you? Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it has been a, a roller coaster ride since then, but I'm still going. I think that's yeah. one way of putting it. <laughs> so what sort of opportunities did you have, A-team aside, mm -hmm. what sort of opportunities were there in Zimbabwe as you grew up, as you came of age as an actor? Well. Um, I think it's fair to say that our, up until, up until very recently, actually, the, the Zimbabwe's education system is, has been exemplary. Uh, and in fact, at one point, the adult literacy rate in Zimbabwe was higher than that of the United States. Wow. Um, so, which, uh, you know. <laughs> Go figure. We shall not talk about that. Um, <laughs> Perhaps that begins to explain things somehow. <laughs> um, so, you know, at school there were always festivals, there were always school plays, there were always school choirs, and uh, in secondary school, uh, the particular school I went to, Prince Edward, uh, was very much the flagship government school um, at the time, and so... So free? So, well, no, not free, but uh, fee-paying, but up to a certain uh, level. And so, so you, you literally would have children of uh, domestic workers, 
going to school with the children of government ministers. Right. You know, and those who couldn't make up the fees, uh, would their fees would be paid for by what was called the Social Development Fund, which, as time went on, as the uh, as the political si system deteriorated, that th those things became less and less and less and less. Funnily enough, there were a whole bunch of kids uh, by the name of Mugabe at our school, um, who. <laughs> What would happen is that at a certain point, and this was always kind of embarrassing, but also very funny for schoolboys, it was an all-boys all boys school, that there would be a point sort of maybe a week and a half, two weeks into the beginning of term where if your fees had not been paid in assembly, your names were called out and you would have to leave school for mm. that day. And almost always, these, there was a whole bunch of kids with the name Mugabe who would just always be told, get up and leave and go home. Wow. Um, Heaven only knows why. Make but, of uh, that what you will. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I don't believe it was anything necessarily po political. I think it was just that, you know, fees not being paid, etc., etc. But uh, because Prince Edward was the flagship government school, we had some of the best facilities in the country. We had uh, when I believe it was the Japanese or the Chinese government gave endowed Zimbabwe or Zimbabwe schools with a whole bunch of musical instruments. The bulk of them came to Prince Edward, right. so you know the opportunities were there. Uh, you, I, I was, you know, in, in school choirs and school plays uh, throughout uh, high school and beyond. So there were there was no lack of uh, of outlet growing up in that sense. Nevertheless, you took it upon yourself to found your own theatre company in 1994, Over the Edge. <laughs> and uh, you say that you founded it with a group of what you call joyous reprobates, which sounds like an excellent cast of company. Uh, what was the thinking behind that theatre group and why did you mm. feel the need to create your own? Well, again, curiously, we were young people. Young people, we were, we were very much what would be called in Zimbabwe the, the born freeze. Basically those who were either born or grew up after independence in 1980. So our, our reality, our horizons were very, very different. We, were, we went to integrated schools. We, we grew up in a country that was ostensibly free. Uh, but what we found, socializing, you know, whenever we, we'd go out of a Friday night, or, and literally people would stare at this group of black, pink, white, brown kids walking together. It was literally people's jaws on the ground going, what? What are they doing? They're, but they're, they're, there's a white one and a black one and a brown one and they're laughing and they're, what, what on earth? You know, so this was, a <laughs> this was a, an outrageous political act in the eyes of mm. some. For us, it was just, well, these are the people I went to school with. These are the people I hang out with, you know, of course, and we have uh, similar interests. Uh, in saying that, of course, I suppose like with all young people of a certain age, we we were hungry to tell our own stories. We were hungry to do our own thing. We were also very aware that, you know, actually when, when we play and work together, because the bulk of us were also at, at, uh, at high school together, so we knew each other, we were in each other's pockets mm. for, for years. I mean, we, we, are, we are family to this very day. You know, th th those are possibly the, the, the people who have had the biggest individual influence on me. Are most of them still uh, in Zimbabwe? We are scattered around the world, but yes, a few are still uh, still in Zimbabwe. So, you know, we, we got together, we, we found we could make each other laugh and annoy each other in equal measure, but that underneath it was a passion to do theatre, to tell stories, to make stuff. So we just we went out and we did it. And, and we started literally on the streets in, uh, in 
<laughs> in a in a shopping center, um, with me as the as uh, sort of the, the beard in the crowd, saying, um, you know, there's these uh, there's this company that's doing really interesting stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, and and you know, he had the hats out, and literally there was one man I remember walking past, completely oblivious to the fact that there were these clowns doing mad stuff on, thinking that the hats were for sale, and asking me um, how much are for these hats. And like um, they're not actually for sale, but anyway, watch this. So you know, that was uh, that was it. I'm fascinated that one of your first plays, if not your first play, mm -hmm. was the Scottish play. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not going to say its name on the Olivier <laughs> stage. Um, what was the political undertone that you thought would resonate with Zimbabwean audiences, and, and in particular in the casting? Because mm. I believe your Lady M was yes. white. Yes, she was. Was that provocative? Was it deliberately provocative? It was very provocative. Very, very particularly when we had uh, school kids coming in. I mean, we were. At that stage, we would have been in our, we were in our early 20s, late teens, early 20s. So a lot of the, the kids who were coming, who had this as a set book for their O-levels or GCSEs, as they are called. Is that right? Yes. I think it? they still yeah, exist. I'm very old, but yes. I think that's what yeah. they still do. Um, we, you know, so they would have been 15, 14, 15, 16. And for them, coming in to see a black man and a white woman, not just, not polite kissing, but doing what grown-ups do, was on one hand very provocative. I mean, there were even a couple of, of nights where it was like, ugh, disgusting, <laughs> sis, man. You know, you, you, you heard, you heard yeah. that. So, you, you know, but again, the impetus behind it was, was never overtly or deliberately political for, for, for us. It was about this group of people wanting to tell this story that we could tell, that we believed in telling, and that we were, we were also, maybe I'm contradicting myself, the flip side of it was that people are looking at us as Africans and have made all these assumptions about us, mm. um, about who we are, about what we eat, what we sound like, what we do. Well, let's show them. Let's show them. Let's do this because we, we can do it and we like doing it and we think we're pretty good at it. Of course, uh, <laughs> on another level, uh, you know, when you sort of divide the two big, biggest uh, ethnic groups in Zimbabwe, the, the Shona, who are predominantly in the north part of Zimbabwe, and the Mandebele, who were in the southern part of the country, there were always, there were these, uh, these undertones of, you know, Macbeth. Uh, <gasps> I said it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, being 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 from it's looking like he's from one tribe, mm. and Macduff seeing seeming like he's from another, and you know there was a moment when we had this massive sword fight, and of course, yes, it was boys with swords showing off, having fun, uh, really going for it. And there I will never forget one performance where uh, we put the swords down. There's a point at which we put the swords down, and there were. There was a ripple that went through the crowd. You're like, yeah, okay. And someone shouted, get him, at me. <laughs> and, like, you know, so, and that's when you knew, okay, we're, we're touching people. You know, this is, we're, we're, we are singing a song that we are not even aware of yet. And how fascinating, but not mm. at all surprising, that it's <laughs> Shakespeare mm. that had such an immediate connection with his audiences. Mm. I was uh, intrigued to know that you were the first company, the first professional theatre company, at least in Africa, to secure the rights to the abridged, reduced Shakespeare, that 90-minute romp mm. through uh, the Bard. And you put it on in Harare in a huge theatre, a thousand seats, yes. not knowing what was going to happen. But is it fair to say it was a smash hit? What did that it say to you? Well, we had, we had done it in a much smaller theatre, and it had been an out-and-out success. And we, there were very intense discussions about, I mean, at that time, as a company, 
we had made the princely sum of 75,000 Zimbabwe dollars, which was uh, not, not, a, not, a, not a lot, but it was something. We had like, wow, this is a lot of money. And the, the feeling was that, okay, well, the biggest theater in the country has uh, space. Why don't we put our show on there? There was umming and eyeing and arguing, but once we had decided, okay, let's go for it, let's go for it. And literally, we did not know we didn't know until the actual day of the first performance what would happen. And I, again, to this day, there, there is nothing more satisfying as, a, as an artist. Beyond money, beyond fame, beyond all of that, than seeing the fruits of your labor come to fruition. And I will never forget walking in to, because the, 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 the show started with two of us on stage and the rest of us appearing from the crowd. And I'll never forget walking in to this, uh, walking into the, into the auditorium and just seeing a sea of people. And there was a chuckle that went through the audience and they just started applauding as we walked down. And I thought, oh, you see, I'm even getting choked up remembering mm. it. You know, it's like, wow, we did that. We did that. No amount of money, no amount of anything. Can, that's what we did. They've come to see us, you know. And so, so that kind of, uh, that dedication, that commitment and that, that drive I don't think has ever left me. So it planted in you, that fair mm. to say then, a drive to make this happen, mm. to, to be here. Absolutely. There were a few little detours along the way. <laughs> I think you had <laughs> dreams <laughs> of uh, flying along the wing for your <laughs> beloved <laughs> Liverpool, <laughs> which we won't talk about. Um, also, you thought, I think, mm. for a while about following your late father into the medical profession, yes. and I believe you even worked for a time as an advertising copywriter. No doubt you look back misty-eyed on those fine yeah. days. Yeah. Did you ever doubt that you could be here? Ooh. To be honest, deep, deep down inside, no. And the only reason I didn't doubt it was because apart from anything else, I was certain of myself. I knew that if I was given the chance, I would make a go for it. Um, I, had, I had also been uh, sort of grown up in a, in a scenario where people were always underestimating you or making, making assumptions about you, whether beca because of the way you looked, because of the way you sound, because of the color of your skin, all of these things. So, and, and it was my great joy and pleasure and continues to be uh, to completely mess with people's expectations. <laughs> I Brilliant. love it. I, abs I thrive on it. Mm. You know, I, there have been times when I've walked into <laughs> meetings and I've looked across the table and gone, you, you have no idea what's coming, do you? <laughs> you have absolutely no idea, but it's fine. It's fine because when I do blow you away, I will then turn to you and say, I mean, will not give you the satisfaction of saying we believed in you all along because you didn't, mm. but I believed in me and I will continue to believe in me because I have to. Who else is going to, uh, you know? So, so underneath that, I was always sure of myself. The biggest challenge was matching the expectations and the pressures that I put on myself. The, the, the own voice, my own voice in my head going, no, that's not good enough. Do you meet those expectations? Do you surpass I them? No, I don't think so. And that is not, I don't say, that is not a burdensome, I don't think it's unhealthy, it's just that it keeps me on my toes. Yeah, it's the mark of a great artist, yeah. the day that you think you've nailed it. Yeah. Forget about it. Yeah. Well, someone that you did blow away, mm. to use that expression, was the late, great Peter Schaffer. <laughs> who obviously died last year, much to the great sadness of everyone in this world. Um, I understand that you got to send him an audition tape. Yes. 
for this part, mm. for Amadeus. Yeah. And he himself gave you his blessing. He did indeed. That must have felt pretty special. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the day that uh, the great Rufus Norris uh, called me upstairs and said, listen, we are, we're thinking about reviving this play. And there is a, a short list of names, a very short list. It's, it's, a, it's a short list of two. And you are one of the names. And then I asked him, so who's the other person? And he told me, and I swore blue murder at him. And I said, come on, don't pull my leg. He said, no, 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 it's seriously, it's you or X. Well, right. And we've put both names to the estate, and they've said, ah, wonderful, but we don't know who this other guy is, as in me. Would he mind putting himself on tape for us? So in secret, that at the time we were, uh, I was rehearsing Ma Rainey, mm. um, in secret, I learned the speech at the end of Act One. I learnt it, and then upstairs in one of the rehearsal rooms uh, with Wendy Spawn, uh, the casting director here, and Mike Longhurst, the director. We, I think we put, uh, put maybe seven, eight minutes on tape. We did that, um, and off it went. And I, I, I genuinely, in my head, and this was not fatalist or anything, I said, look, I've done the best that I could do. Mm. I gave it my all. I chose a, a speech that was that was that I could digest easily. Um, what hap whatever happens, happens. Um, on Christmas Eve, I got a message from Rufus to say, "Yeah, he is." Uh, he nice is Christmas present. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but you can't say anything. <laughs> uh, and then on press night, uh, this this is what really has stuck with me. On press night, I met his agent and his manager. He said. He confirmed that, yes, he did watch the tape. We watched it together over and over and over. And it was pretty much the last creative decision he made. So for me, uh, not only to, to be on this great stage, uh, to be with my great fellow players who are sitting out in the darkness. Hello. Um, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> um, it, it is, it, it's, it's really, I do not actually, and I don't say this to be rude or to be contrary, I don't actually care what anyone says or thinks because the master gave me his permission. So. It's a shame everyone else thinks you're rubbish, really. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? The critics have hated it. Seriously, though, I mean, it's hard to think of plays mm. as iconic as this mm. one. And obviously, those socking great two lead roles have, mm. have lent themselves to these wonderful performances in the past. And mm. I don't know who the actor who didn't get it was, but mm. clearly it was someone significant. Thinking about people like Ian McKellen mm. playing at Paul Schofield, mm. of course, F. Murray Abraham in the mm. film. How long a shadow have those performances cast on you, if at all? Massive. And for, n for no other reason but they are, they are indelible in history. They are, I mean, in, you know, in the case of F. Murray Abraham, I mean, you get the DVD, the movie on demand, wherever it's there. You know, he won an Oscar for it, you know. Um, you know, uh, Schofield has been on this very stage doing it. The, you know, reel of all the greats and the good, the great and the good. They've all done it. Um, for me, though, <laughs> uh, there is nothing I can do about that. There's absolutely nothing I can do about who did what before me. Just as there's nothing I can do about who is going to do what after me. Mm -hmm. Because when it comes down to it, 
we have a script and we have a rehearsal room with an amazing cast, am an amazing director. What business have I got wasting all that precious time worrying about the shadows of the past? Why? What for? Don't do it. I think the yeah. shadows are going, oh no, we thought we were the definitive <laughs> performance and then this guy comes along. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful to hear. I mean, Salieri, he's become such a notorious villain mm. and vilified as a result. Mm. I mean, let's, let's great as Peter Schaffer was, the, the liberties that he took with reality and truth <laughs> and history are, yes. uh, are quite remarkable. Mm. But you love him, don't you? When we yes. met before, you told yes. me that you loved this man. I love him. Why? Because I understand him. <laughs> You've got to understand him to love him. Um, I understand him. And, uh, and it is fundamentally because I, I honestly believe for all of us in any walk of life, in any discipline, there is someone who we look at and go, how are you doing that? Mm. How is it possible that you are doing that? What are you? We are doing the same thing, but you have made it. And, you know, I'm a lover of football. And I always use this as, as an, an, an analogy. You have got someone like Messi, Lionel Messi, who with the ball at his, at his feet, it looks like ballet. It looks like dance. It looks like he's doing something else. And then you get, I don't know, Gary Breen from the lower leagues, who's uh, the humping, huffing, crushing the same ball, doing the same thing, but it looks, yeah, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, okay, you know. But it is, it, what is it that this Messi man, this Mozart, this whoever, what is it that you are doing that is elevating this, this craft? I want to do that. That's what I want to do. <laughs> but I can't do it. Y you know, and, and I completely understand the, the burning jealousy, the disappointment, the utter adoration, the pain of going, okay, but if I acknowledge you, it means I'm saying I'm not good enough. I can't do that. I can't let you have that as well. Mm. So <laughs> I completely understand. Well, it's point. interesting when you say you you don't have the self doubt that riddles, let's face it, quite a lot of actors, mm. and that you did always believe in yourself. Mm. Salieri is racked with doubt. Mm. Yes, he is, and I I, I am also racked with doubt. Um, uh, it, it it is the, I suppose the extent to which you allow the doubts to hold you back. Mm. There has to come a point where you go, okay. Yes, I'm riddled with doubt, but I've got to take the step. I have to do it, you know. Um, and perhaps his, his greatest, the greatest tragedy for Salieri is that he does, he's, he's done everything right. Mm. He's done, he has become good, he is celebrated, yeah. you know. But the thing that he actually wants <laughs> is beyond him and he will never, mm. and he will never get there. Mm. And he knows it, mm. and that's terrifying. As an actor, you talk a lot about the importance of finding the truth in whatever story you're telling, whatever character you're inhabiting. And that sounds obvious because, mm. of course, actors have to seek truth. Of course, mm. writers have to, to seek truth. But mm. it's amazing. I was thinking I'm very lucky to be a BAFTA member and, and mm. watching endless BAFTA screeners mm. at the moment. Mm. Um, how many performances do fall short of, of finding that innate truth? And when you see it, my God, do you know you're in the presence of it. Mm -hmm. And one of the great joys for me of this remarkable production, and those of you who haven't seen it, I mean, you, I'm so jealous of you that you're <laughs> going to witness it for the first time, is that although it's flamboyant and mm. larger than life in some ways, it is so truthful, and that's why it's so devastating. How do you find your truth? Is it an instinctive feeling for it? Is it something that you consciously set out with? I mean, how do you approach a character like Salieri? 
Well, the, the basic starting point is, is, has always got to be honesty. Do I first of all, do I understand the story? <laughs> do I know what happens from the beginning to the end? Okay, got that bit, good. Secondly, what is it that the character wants? What, the, what is my character after? What are the obstacles in their way? All these things which may, s may sound very sort of pedantic and pedestrian uh, and, 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 and dull, but actually keeping those uh, a sense of those basics all along mm. is, uh, is a good thing. Then there is, and this is a, for me, the crucial balance. This is a memory play, if not a history play, even though there are characters who, are who existed. And so research is useful, but only up until a certain point. Because then you're going, okay, why then don't do, wha wha if you're gonna do all the research uh, <laughs> and then bring it into the room, which is great, there has to be a point where you go, okay, are we doing uh, a work of fiction or are we making a documentary? Which mm. is it? Which is it going to be? And how, how useful is your research to this, to this particular endeavor of telling this story? After that, is then the space that is between you as performers. Because I can do all the research in the world. I could have learnt all the lines in the world. The moment I sit here and go, bam, suddenly, there is a fully formed person and voice mm -hmm. with me. And I have to play with that. I have to discover that. And I think that if you, in the room, if you allow each other that space as a team, the honesty, the bravery, and but also not being afraid to be ridiculous or to look or feel ridiculous. Mm. This is the other thing, <laughs> is that you will always find something truthful. And I guess from my own, my own training, I've always said this because I've learned on the job, uh, literally from busking on the streets to being on these hallowed stages. I think the greatest power one has is to embrace the power of the clown. The, uh, a clown is never afraid. A clown is the first to volunteer. A clown doesn't worry about ego. <laughs> a clown is always up for anything. Uh, I smacked into a wall. Oh, okay. Oh, that was painful. Mm, I'll try it again. Smacked it in the wall. Oh, that was painful. Mm. What if I run from there to there? Let's see what happens. Everything is a new possibility, but I'm not afraid to find... Uh, I'm not afraid to, to, to feel ridiculous. Not afraid to expose myself in that way, because the truth will always find a way out. Because ultimately, the only character who can tell the king that he's an asshole to his face is the clown and get away with it. And God, we love him for <laughs> it. <laughs> it might sound very obvious to say that music is right at the heart of this play, but mm. I was intrigued that the first director of Amadeus, of course, Peter Hall, back in 1979, wrote in his diaries, Music, like colour, is the most dangerous thing to put in straight theatre. It generalises emotion, generates it easily, and ends by dissipating it. And my God, when it's Mozart, you can't easily let him into a play. So his solution was to almost mute the music, and he asked Harry Bertwistle, who was his music director, to make it distant under speech. It is fair to say, I think, that your director, Mike Longhurst, has taken a rather different approach. <laughs> he puts the music and the musicians front and center. And it struck me that having the musicians, those wonderful musicians of the South Bank Symphonia live on this stage, essentially allows us to watch Mozart creating with musicians in real time masterpieces. And that is such a powerful thing because of course that is ultimately where Salieri's jealousy drives, derives from. 
And I wondered, as an actor, do you feel you're being aided almost by the fact that for an audience in the mm. theatre, yeah, my God, we get it. That is why that music is so beautiful. And here it's happening. It's just coming Completely. out of it. Completely. Completely. You, I mean, the, the I'm in love with everyone in the South Bank Symphonia. Okay? They are, they are just it, the magic we have been able, all been able to make together. But you're absolutely right. You get to see what <laughs> this is what Salieri is up against. Mm. How can you compete with yeah. that? How can you better that? You never will. But I, I think the one of the great achievements of our uh, our production is that there was no separation between musicians, actors, singers. We are we are a company together. We are telling this story. I think you you called it an interdisciplinary orgy of creativity. <laughs> <laughs> you don't right. you don't need to go any further with the <laughs> I'm in love with. We'll we'll um, let our imaginations deal with that one. Um, you have though also described it fondly as our wonderful madness, and I thought that was such a brilliant way of putting it. Is it fair to say that this is quite unlike any other theatrical production you've been yeah. part of? Yeah, there was. Uh, there were a few days in the rehearsal room that were completely bananas, <laughs> in the best possible way. You know, just you've got you've got bassoons flying over here, you've got someone uh, opera singers over there. You've got it was it was beautiful and crazy, but there was that constant sense that we will find something, we're going to find something quite special. And I think early on to have sort of seen the little flashes of it was very exciting and helped us uh, helped us carry on. And in the rehearsal room, mm. did you feel Mozart's genius? Yes. Do you feel it on stage every night? Yes, because I'm always fighting it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Salieri's music gets short shrift in this production as well. I mean, it, it sort of works on both levels, doesn't it? Uh, watching you and, of course, listening to you as Salieri, I was so struck by how melodious, how musical your voice is. Do you consider yourself musical? What's your background when it comes to music, if any? Um, at the age of maybe 15, 16, I had about a week of piano lessons. Uh, <laughs> and that's basically it, really. Um, <laughs> um, and I, I didn't carry on for no other reason than just teenage madness. It wasn't because I didn't like it. Mm. Um, strangely, two of my very dear friends both became very good clarinetists at the same time. We were hanging out all the time. They just carried on. They just carried on with, with the music. And I kind of went, mm, okay, piano. Yeah, it's nice, it's cool, but I, I want to go and make plays. Or um, play football, which is obviously infinitely <laughs> cooler as a teenage boy. Um, but yeah, I, I love to sing. Um, and uh, doing uh, Ma Rainey, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. With the, again, I have been very blessed to be amongst amazing, talented company. I got a chance to learn about that much piano again, which was quite, uh, quite exciting. And maybe one day when I clear my head, I might sit down and try and take it up again, because I think I would quite enjoy it. It's fine, because you've got loads of spare time. <laughs> so <laughs> We'll get on to your many other projects so <laughs> shortly. Um, we both believe hmm. fervently that we really must reinvigorate and reassess and challenge and redefine great plays through the prism of the times that we are living mm. in. And the structure, the integrity of a great play isn't compromised by that. I think mm. purists sometimes think you mustn't touch these things. Mm. They mm. exist mm. as they exist. Mm. And I'm a great believer in that in theatre and particularly in music as well. And at least one critic I was uh, intrigued to read said that the role of Salieri was an overdue accolade for you. 
which I completely agree with. Growing up in Africa, becoming a star in Africa, working as you did, obviously never in the minority there. Did you ever think that you would have the opportunity to play a role like this in a British production of Amadeus? Uh, it certainly wasn't outside of the scope of my own ambition. Uh, perhaps I was, perhaps th there's always a point in your career as the years roll by where you think, hmm, the clock is ticking. When is the, wh when, are the wh wh when, is, when is the juice going to come? But uh, no, I s I, it, it was always, you know, roles of this scale were always on, 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 the on in my personal horizon. But uh, again, I didn't, I didn't necessarily, I, I never doubted the ability to be able to do it. I perhaps, there was perhaps a, a doubt that the opportunity would ever come. Uh, but even in that, you know, you just have to keep pushing. I didn't stop working. And, uh, you mm. once said that for your next role, you'd like to play Juliet. Correct. That was Juliet, yes. in case you missed that. Uh, how, how's that coming along? Uh, we're still working on it. Uh. <laughs> I uh, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't put it past you. It must be very boring to endlessly be the first black actor to play dot, dot, dot. Do you long for a day when nobody even notices? Yes. Uh, but then I'm also, I come from somewhere where I, w I have been an actor and not a black actor. Do you so miss that? Like yes, to an extent because I'd never heard the term black actor until I started working here. Mm. Um, so for me, and I suppose this is another important thing. I, as you said, I have grown up where I, in, in places where I was, people who look like me are the majority. So the questions you ask yourself are different questions. Mm. And so my, o my own sense of, of self or of, of, of sort of the, the palette that I paint with is very different in a way that friends and colleagues who have perhaps grown up here or in America have not necessarily had. Yeah. I remember a very dear friend of mine who is no longer an actor anymore He's mo uh, in America, uh, Jared Robinson, who came to Zimbabwe in for one of the festivals. And I remember him, we went out of a morning, walked around town and we came back and he sat down and he was in tears. And I said, Jared, what's wrong? He said, you know what? It's the first time in my life where I've walked down the street and nobody paid me any attention because everybody looks like me. That must be, you know, for somebody to, and by, I mean, he was by then in his 30s, to have never wow. had that. Wow. To walk down a street where nobody bats an eyelid at wow. you. Wow. You know, that is something that is quite significant. And mm. I, I do think in some ways we must not underplay or dismiss the impact of, of, of that sort of level of, 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 uh, of social engagement, because mm. it does, you know, what, what therefore is normal. Yeah. And who is normal? Just, just human beings. And I you think know? that the national, mm. as a theatre, by its nature, mm. it must strive to be a theatre for everyone. Uh, you mentioned the great Rufus Norris. I'm a huge, huge fan of Rufus Norris. He's talked about how this theatre has the responsibility and the privilege to celebrate this nation and how the work should reflect and celebrate our diversity in terms of ethnicity, mm. disability, sexuality, class. Now, of course, the recent findings of the Warwick Report paint a very, very grisly picture mm. in that regard. And uh, the suggestion is absolutely that the arts are mainly patronised by a very small, privileged mm. minority. And by the way, I'm super conscious of saying that as a white middle-class person called Clemency Burton-Hill. I mean, <laughs> thank you, Mum. I should just point out that that was because my mum and my dad were never together and I got both of their names, but 
<laughs> we'll leave that one, we'll park that one. But the National has gone so far as to set diversity targets mm. and the Equality Action Plan states that by 2021, over 20% mm. of the workforce will be from black and minority, minority ethnic backgrounds. Mm. What do you think of diversity targets? I think they are essentially a good thing. I think uh, because the thing is, if, if you let things go as they are, it's just going to be, you will continue to meander and to, the, the what, what crucially I believe the targets uh, make us do is to go, okay, let's have an honest conversation yeah. about this. And let us not be, because this is the, because on the flip side, everyone's going, oh yes, look, aren't we one happy big nation? Isn't, yeah, it's all great, brother and sister. On one hand, on the other hand, there are uncomfortable conversations to be had and we yeah. must continue to have them. Yeah. And we must not pretend to be, I do not want to walk into a room and you go, oh, uh, it's okay, I don't see your color. No, see it. <laughs> it's me. I'm not pretending to be anyone mm. else. It's me, mm. just as you are you, you know. But let us have a conversation about that. Let yeah. us, let us, and, and so that when it comes to creating the art, as I believe this particular production has shown, is that when it comes to, uh, to creating the art, what matters is the integrity and the quality of the artists. Yeah. Not what they have between their legs or on the color of their skin. Quite. You know, so, you know, the more for that, say I. Absolutely, I'm sure everyone agrees with mm. you as well. And for the future of this art form, for the future of music, mm. all of these wonderful things that I'm sure everyone in the room holds very dear, it is obviously vital that we keep reaching audiences and touching mm. audiences and telling stories to audiences who currently perhaps don't feel mm. that this is a party to which they're invited, a mm. family to which they can belong. Mm. And it strikes me as someone who works a lot in the classical music world that mm. we have that image problem probably even worse than theatre. Mm. And I was just gloriously overwhelmed and blown away to coin that to use that expression again by by what this production did in mm. terms of reminding us how this stuff is for everyone mm. do you feel that that production has been making a difference just in terms of who's coming through the door i was reliably informed that it's a very young crowd in here tonight which i um, i can't actually see any of you but that's lovely to know if it is the case um, but you were talking about the fact there was a four-year-old in the audience but in yes. terms of a younger audience mm. in terms of a, an audience that might not normally come to the national mm -hmm. do you think you are touching them with this production I, I believe so. I think the, uh, I, 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 I'm a little hesitant in saying that is because I know that it is a long process. Yeah. And it doesn't, it, it's going to take a long time to have fully, fully integrated audiences. I think the challenge for us all going forward is to be consistent with the, the door opening schemes. Yeah. Those have to be consistent because they're not glamorous, they're not sexy. Some, and sometimes it's as simple as simple as having someone who is brown as mm. the front of house. Sometimes it's that simple for mm. some people. It li literally is. It's amazing mm. how somebody will go, oh, okay. Uh, someone who has, who has, would have walked past here a million times thinking, I want to go in, I want to go in. Mm. You know, it's, it's those, those little things, mm. those little things. But it is, a, and absolutely, yes, it is always fantastic to see brown faces out in the in the crowd and it is to see all faces <laughs> it's not, not faces are just you know, faces, faces, are faces. <laughs> but i i also know that there are a lot of people who <laughs> from all walks of life who would love to come to somewhere like mm. this but are in for various reasons are oh yeah. i'm intimidated i'm a little bit but i do believe fundamentally it's about be being consistent with the programs it mustn't stop yeah it must not be there just to tick boxes just to say okay we've we're going to get X amount of money if we do this. No, be consistent with it yeah. throughout. And you will get detractors, there will be problems, but hey, plow on through. 
Here, here. Now, speaking of ploughing on through, it's, uh, I'm conscious of the clock and we have to let you go and prepare for your performance very quickly as I'm going to let you scuttle off to your dressing room soon. Do you have any pre-performance rituals? How do you become Salieri? <laughs> because I've heard that you like skipping. Yes. And we already know that you're not superstitious because you said the M word on mm. stage. Mm. But I've heard that there has to be a certain hoodie in your dressing yes. room. Is that right? That is correct. Tell us about that. Oh, it's, it's, it's the red Metrex hoodie that every, all the gang know. I, you see, I can't commit any crimes or go anywhere because everyone's going to know that that's me. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things, you know. You, um, I, I put it on and I feel, okay, I'm ready to work. I'm ready to get going. And if we weren't holding you captive on the Olivier stage for mm. this, would you be one of those actors who like to get into costume hours before and become Salieri, or do you want to do it at the last no, minute? No, 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 no. I... I I feel that the moment the costume is on, the character is there. I don't want to be sitting in the dressing room reading the newspaper. Mm. So I like to have the costume on at the absolute very last minute. So that if it's on, and off we go. That, that is my way. Others want to you know, have their way. But for me, once, once I see him in the mirror, I'm like, okay, you are not hanging around here. This is not where you live. Get out. Go. <laughs> <laughs> I do not want you in here. This is my space. Leave. Uh, wow. You know, yeah. And how do you decompress? Because it is such a monumental performance. It Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I knew we were going to be great friends. <laughs> well, that well, you know, yes, obviously. Uh, there is, there is straight to the bar, straight to the artist bar. Well, have a well, have a shower first, get it all <laughs> off, breathe. And yeah, go and hang out with, with, with colleagues. Because the, the other thing, outside of, outside of the rehearsal time, um, once the show is up and running, we don't really spend, get time to spend with each other socially. And sometimes the first time I will see some of the gang is on stage in costume and character. And so, you know, going to the bar afterwards is sometimes the only way to, to, to socialize and just to, to decompress. And uh, yeah, there's nothing more satisfying, particularly after a two show day for me than a cold beer at the end of it. That's your poison. Oh, that's nice. Cold beer. That goes down so well. We'll see you after the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your generosity and for your wonderful performance. Lucien Samadhi. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>